Solstice greetings, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, peace and goodwill to you no matter what your version of the other world looks like. So we're finally here, the last part of the Wild Rover podcast. Feels like a long time has passed since I made this all the way back in May but listening back to it now just brought back quite a few emotions. Jeez, what a time. There was one big blooper where I called COVID-19 COVID-19 um, and I thought about re-recording the whole thing just to fix it but then I thought, nah, I'm a punk. I should embrace my foibles. So I left it in and just shouted over it. Um, anyway, if you like this, you can find links to everything I do online at www.campsite.bio forward slash fire drawn air. And uh, that's it. Right, enjoy. The Wild Rover is beyond a doubt one of the most popular and enduring traditional songs of our time. One of the few across the the world border which separates the 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 One of those songs Although the Wild Rover is often regarded as the Irish drinking song par excellence. What we have seen over the last two episodes is that for most of its 340 year long existence it wasn't a drinking song at all, but a song promoting temperance, sobriety and abstinence. Not only this, but for a long time there was absolutely nothing connecting the song to Ireland and after its genesis in England, it subsequently made its way to Scotland, North America and Australia, the country where it found its greatest popularity. Evidence for the song in Ireland before 1964 is almost non-existent. It doesn't appear on any surviving balladies from the 19th century, and neither does it appear in any of the main collections. Patrick Weston Joyce in the south and Sam Henry in the north don't appear to have come across it and even Colm O'Loughlin makes no mention of it in his 1939 publication Irish Street Ballads. Unless we look very carefully we might be forgiven for coming to the conclusion that before the Dubliners it was not known in the country at all. Tom Mundley was a scholar, lecturer and song collector 
employed by the Irish Folklore Commission, who was actively collecting English language songs for a period of over 40 years. There is something he once said in one of his lectures, which has always struck me as sounding quite controversial, but at the same time, making a lot of sense. He said that with regards to traditional song in the English language, both Ireland and the UK could be regarded as one common region. And the ballad scholar John Molden made the same assertion in his PhD thesis, The Printed Ballad in Ireland. I believe that evidence supporting this statement is plain to see, and there is no question that songs have been making their way across the Irish Sea in both directions for hundreds of years. How strange it would be then to see that a song had travelled in robust health all the way across the Atlantic to North America and even down to Australia on the other side of the world multiple times, but had failed to make the short, simple trip over to Ireland. I am Ian Lynch and this is the Fire Drawn Near podcast. The arrival in Europe of renowned American ethnomusicologist Alan Lomax in 1950 had caused quite a stir amongst those concerned with the preservation and stimulation of traditional culture and many organisations were spurred on to initiate their own collecting endeavours. Brian George, head of the BBC's Central Programme Operations, was himself a singer from Donegal, and he had long envisioned the BBC as a leading collector of traditional folk song and music. Although he had overseen similar work in the past, in 1952 he initiated the ambitious folk music and dialect recording scheme which was to be enacted over five years. Peter Kennedy and Seamus Ennis, both of whom had worked with George in this capacity in the past, were contracted in. Although this work was ostensibly concerned with the jurisdiction of the UK and Northern Ireland, Maurice Slocombe, founder of the BBC Sound Archive, showed quite a progressive view towards the subject. Mr Bell, discussed the general possibilities of finding material. He said that he thought the six counties were less rich in folk song, etc., than Donegal and other parts of the Irish Republic, and asked whether we were going to bother about drawing a line at the border. I said that there was no real line to draw in folk music. The end result of the scheme was about 150 hours of recorded material comprising of a total of 3,300 items and collected from 700 individuals, and almost every county in Britain and Ireland was included. On the 10th of July, only a few days after he had arrived in Ireland, Kennedy, along with Sean O'Boyle, found himself recording a man called Jimmy McKee in Armagh. Kennedy's notes refer to the songs recorded that day as local comalies, but in amongst pieces like November Keedy Fair and The Grain Moor Hare was a fine, mournful version of the Wild Rover. I've been a Wild Rover for many a long year I have spent all my money in whiskey and beer 
but never Put my money in store And I'll be a wild rover Wild rover no more No, no, never Never, no more Will I be
I left in your care I would buy a grassadelle To read the grammar I'd sell all my money Yeah, open grass store And I'll be a wild rover while rover no more Nay, no, never Never no more Will I be a while rover While rover It is perhaps reminiscent of the Scottish versions of the song with regards to its melody and to its nay no never chorus. However, the last verse which begins If I had all the money I left in your care is quite rare. It does however appear in one more Irish version that we will hear later on. Just eight days after recording Jimmy McKee, Kennedy and O'Boyle recorded another version of the Wild Rover, this time in tempo, County Fermanagh. The singer was called Jack Kelly and the song he sang was very interesting, maybe better described as a variant rather than a version. It seems to be a cross between the Wild Rover and another song called I Have Been A Wild Boy. This latter song was recorded from a woman called Sally Sloan in Lithgow, New South Wales, in 1976. As a song, it does seem to be related to the Wild Rover in some degree, and it includes the refrain, I've been a wild boy, but I'll be so no more. It is possible that it was the similarities between the two songs that gave rise to Kelly's peculiar variant, whether this was his own work or that of someone else further back up the line of transmission. Oh, my name is Bull Kelly, Bull Kelly, Mekun. Sometimes I have money, other times I have none. And when I have money, I make the town roar. But I'll be a good boy, and I'll play the wild over no more. 
Wire over, wire over, wire over no more. But I'll be a good boy and I'll play the wire over no more. <clears throat> Ah, my father, he died, he left me an estate. I married a lady, her fortune was great. I fell into bad company, I spent out this door. But I'll be a good boy and I'll play the wire over no more. Wire over, wire over, wire over no more. But I'll be a good boy and I'll play the wire over no more. The final source for a pre-1964 field recording of an Irish version of the Wild Rover was Cullum O'Quion, or Cullum Keen from Glinsk in Connemara. O'Quion is a very interesting source for the song. Seamus Ennis, who had been friends with him since the 1940s when he was recording on behalf of the Irish Folklore Commission, thought that O'Quion didn't understand much English and it's true that the bulk of his repertoire was in the Irish language, which he sang in the richly decorated Shanno style common to the region. Despite this, he had roughly a dozen or so songs in the English language. As for where he learned the Wild Rover, I'm really at a loss. It is known that he spent a period of time when he was younger working in Glasgow unloading coal from train wagons and my first thought was that he could have picked up the song there. But the song does not sound like what one would expect if this was the case. The melody is different and he doesn't sing the nay no never type chorus which was common to all the Scottish versions. This many long days, I spend all my money with whiskey and beer. And I mean to give it over, and my money in store, and I'll never be called the wild rover no more. Wild rover, wild rover, wild rover no more, and I'll never be called the wild rover no more. Before we move on, there are another two versions of the song that I want to look at. 
Even though they were not recorded before 1964, they were most definitely being sung long before then, and in a most unlikely twist of fate, within a very short distance of each other. The first recording from the same year is one of the only examples we have of a woman singing the song. Bridget Comiskey was a widow who had worked in St Mary's Mill in Dooleek Gate, Drogheda Town since the tender age of 12. Yes, this was illegal at the time and she remembered being told to hide when inspectors would call. At this time everybody sang while working and if they couldn't sing they whistled. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Bridget picked up a lot of her large repertoire of traditional songs while working here, and she also became renowned for being a maker of songs herself. However, later in life, she told Donald Maguire that she had learnt the Wild Rover from her father. But he used to pick up at the travellers, you yeah. know, the people with the circuses and all yeah. that going on the way, and of course he joined them, yeah. and he'd get all those songs off them. Bridget's Wild Rover is quite unusual, both in its melody and the line about hanging the landlady without stocking or shoe. I am a wild rover this many a year I spent all my money on a landstrong beer So it's rover gives over I'll rove on no more And I ne'er will be called it Wild Rover no more I went into a alehouse Where I used to resort I asked for the landlady To fill me a quart and the answer she gave me, the answer was nay. I meet many a customer like you every day. I put my hand in my pocket and out of it drew a hand full of silver on the counter I threw you false hearted landlady I will bid you adieu and that you may be hung without stocking or shoe I'll go home to my father like the prodigal son and off he forgives me all the wrong that i've done sure if he forgives me i'll put money in store and i never will be called a wild rover no more so it's rover, give over, 
Just outside of Drogheda lies the townland of Tenure, and it was here that a celebrated musical family lived. Mary Ann Carolyn and Pat Usher were siblings who played traditional music on the concertina and fiddle, and they also sang many songs that they had learned from their father, Pat Senior. Drogheda-born singer, researcher, and all-round authority on Irish traditional song, Sean Corcoran, sees in the Usher's version of the Wild Rover a certain kind of refashioning of the English song into something more palatable to an Irish aesthetic. A Hibernian makeover, if you will. Here, the established tune was replaced by something resembling a common Irish tune shape, heard in songs such as Codation Duntation. In the Irish poetic tradition, many poets, after a lifetime of wild living and carousing, would compose an ahri or a repentance poem in order to wipe the slate clean before going up to the pearly gates. The unusual final verse that we heard in Jimmy McKee's version also appears here and fits neatly into this tradition. I've been a for many a long year And I spent half my money Drinking strong ale and beer But now for the future I will take better care In case that misfortune Might come to my share While roving I'll give it over while Robin give o'er, and I ne'er shall be called a while rover no more. I went to the alehouse where I used to resort, and I told the landlady my money was short. But when she heard my story, these words she did say, I can get any customers like you any day. While roving, I'll give it over. While roving, give o'er. And I ne'er shall be called a while rover no more. I put my hand in my pocket, some money to find and I pulled the full of my two hands out five times when she saw I had money and money galore when she saw I had money she called me her store as she says I have liquor and are of the best these words I have spoken were only in jest. 
versions of the Wild Rover, all of which were extant before anyone had ever heard of the Dubliners, and each of them peculiar and idiosyncratic in their own way. As for the question of whether or not these could have been the source for the Dubliners version, it doesn't seem that any of them is a realistic candidate. Only the version from Jimmy McKee in Armagh has the iconic Nay No Never chorus, and even that recording shows various textual and melodic differences, and even a whole extra verse. It is curious, but if we take into account the particularly Australian characteristics that we looked at in the last episode, the Sovereign's Bright, the triumphant return home with gold and great store, as well as the tune that Burl Ives sang the song to in the 50s, I think we'll find a closer fit for the possible source. It is well known that Lou Kelly himself believed the song to be Australian, and you can hear him say so here in this television programme from the 1970s. You know, they were here with us about four years ago, and, they, and their concerts are sellouts all the time. It's, it's just incredible. They give you a great show, too, and they carry on. And by the way, I made a mistake. The, the song was not Wild River, it was Wild Rover. It's Australian, by the way. Yeah, it's an Australian. And the Wild Rover, it's dedicated to Vint Cattagio. Um, Sydney Town Hall... In 1844, I landed on the Liverpool shore. My belly was empty. In 1958, at the tender age of 18, Luke Kelly moved to England in search of work. Drawn towards the revival of interest in traditional folk song, he ended up learning many songs which later became staples of the Dubliners' repertoire. Within a couple of years of arriving in England, he had attended his first folk clubs in Newcastle, namely The Bridge and the Newcastle Folk Song and Ballad Club. This latter was run by Lou Killen, and there is evidence that this was where Luke learnt the song. I think I supplied the Wild Rover to the Dubs in Burnley when Luke was attending our club circa 1960 and he heard me sing it. He took a lot of songs he learned while in Newcastle with him when he returned to Dublin. Lou Killen's own source of the song was a radio programme called The Country Magazine, which aired a version of the song in the 1940s. Sung by a baritone and backed by a small orchestra and a chorus of singers, the recording made a lasting impression on Lou. 
I've been a wild rover for many a year, and I've spent all my money on whiskey and beer. But I'll give it over, my money I'll store, and I'll play the wild rover, no, never, no more. So Notably, this BBC arrangement seems to be the source for the extended third bar of the first line of the chorus, the drawing out of the word never that the Dubliners popularised. This distinctive element obviously made an impression on Killen, and you can clearly hear it in this recording from 1963. I've been a wild rover full many a year And I've spent all me money on wine, ale and beer But I'll give up all roving, put me money in store And I never will play the wild rover no more No, nay, never No, nay, never, no more will I play Now, this may seem to contradict Luke Kelly's assertion that he believed that the song was Australian. But, picture this scenario. Luke Kelly is living in Newcastle and highly intoxicated by the new and energetic folk scene that he suddenly finds himself in. He is hearing songs left, right and centre. He hears Lou Killen sing The Wild Rover and he likes it, but he isn't compelled to learn it. As well as Luke claiming it was an Australian song, Liam Clancy was also known to mention that he had learnt a song from Luke who had learnt it from an Australian in Newcastle. Anecdotally, this man may have been called Brian Mooney. Anyone who sings traditional songs knows how sometimes it can take the right singer, sing the right song at the right time and in the right circumstance, before you suddenly hear it in a whole new way. Now imagine Luke hears Brian Mooney sing the song one night. An Australian version, which is still current back there, and is based on the Burl Ives recording from just a few years earlier. And it hits him. Yes! He has to learn this song. He goes out and gets his hand on the Burl Ives recording and sits down with this to learn it. Listen to how similar the two intros are. The resulting patchwork version would thus show influences from Burl Ives' Australian setting, but also supplemented with some differences that he learned from Lou Killen. The reference to the alehouse rather than the shanty, for example. Even more importantly, he also held on to the elongation of the word never in the first line of the chorus, which ultimately stemmed from the BBC studio version, sung by Robert Irwin, and which gave the resulting arrangement a rousing anthemic quality. The great thing about this scenario 
is that everyone is correct. The song is Australian. Luke Kelly did learn it from an Australian in Newcastle. Sam Larner was an influence and Luke Hillen was also a source. <sighs> I've been a wild rover for many years and I've spent money for many long years I've spent all my money for many years and I've spent all my money for my name this important than how exactly Luke Kelly came about his version of the Wild Rover. What I think is far more fascinating in this story is how a song, given the ability to flourish freely in the world, naturally ends up existing in a state of great variation. The processes of time, geographical travel, memory, as well as conscious artistry, all conspire to create a rich environment where many different forms of a song can live, flourish and proliferate. The success of the Dubliners recording was due to a number of different factors, but what it undoubtedly did was effectively wipe away all the other versions in quite a short space of time, completely homogenising the song, so that now, for most people, there is only one Wild Rover. We can see that in some areas there was some forms of local resistance to this. The recording I played of Jim Barron in Yorkshire, for example. But it's very hard to imagine this happening now. Can this situation be reversed? We hear daily about how the music industry is becoming a shadow of its former self. How Due to online streaming and the digital revolution, it's just not possible to sustain the industry in the way that it once was. With the COVID-19 virus having taken away the possibility of live gigs, for a long time the sole source of any real income for musical artists, the state of the industry looks set to worsen even further. As I sit here in lockdown in May 2020, I'm aware of the loud and varied bird song that has seemed to increase over the last two months. The disappearance of the constant background home of traffic and aeroplanes has almost ceased, and on my late night walks I've noticed a greater amount of cats and foxes walking the empty streets. I can't help but think about how, like nature, songs could start to flourish more freely again without the insidious influence of mass media. To me, the Wild Rover managed to resonate with people for so long because it was so fluid and mercurial, open to periodic reimagining that allowed it to change with the times. 
A song which is crystallised and has become stagnant is tied to an age. And when all remnants of that age has passed, so too will the song. But, given the freedom and capability to transform and evolve along with the humans who sing it, there is no reason why a song can't last, in some form, forever. I am Ian Lynch, and this has been the Fire Drawn Air Podcast. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, hang on a second. Maybe all that is complete nonsense. Maybe there's just one very simple reason that the Wild Rover has stuck in people's heads for so long. Anyway, guest performers on this episode, in order of appearance, were Cormac McGermida, Cat Forster, and Marco Kane. Thanks a million to all of them. Thanks also to Simon O'Leary and Chris Dormacarig in the National Folklore Collection, Malcolm Barr Hamilton, librarian at the Vaughan Williams Memorial Library, Alan Woods and Liam O'Connor in the Irish Traditional Music Archive, Stuart Carolyn, Sean Corcoran, Kean Lawless, Brian McGlynn, Donald Maguire, John Molden and Phil Tyler for all their help. I also want to give one last massive thanks to Brian Peters. Brian wrote the article, The Well-Travelled Wild Rover, which provided the majority of the research into the story behind the song. It was a massive inspiration, source of invaluable information, and really the basis for the narrative arc of this podcast. That was part three of the Fire Draw Near Wild Rover podcast. You can find everything I do online at www.campsite.bio forward slash fire drawn including episodes of all my podcasts and a link to my Patreon if you felt like helping me out in that kind of way. Otherwise, it would be really sound if you pass this on to your mates or anyone you think might be into it. Nice one. Uh, Take care and good luck. Yeah, I don't know.